We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. by Steve Sosvidale. I'm coming at you with Michael Lichens. Uh, did I say that right first? You said it perfectly. I Thank just, you. <laughs> I just noticed that after, I should have asked it before we hit the record button. I'm not sure I said his name right. Michael, welcome to the program. Thank you for coming on. How, you, how are you? Doing great today. Really happy to be here to talk about this book. Uh, I know we were talking before we recorded. It's a unique one to talk about. So really excited to be here. Yes, if anybody's asking, it's Dia's Eerie. You may have heard it once or twice, The Secrets of the Dead for Mass, uh, but it's by Father Nicholas Greer, Aguirre, and Sophia has put it back out in print. And yeah, we're going to go through it. And if anybody's not familiar, my brother wanted to come out with that. Well, we, after we basically converted, re reverted back when we played baseball, nice. you know, you have an entrance song. Yeah. Know, how cool would it be if it's come out of DS Erie? <laughs> <laughs> the Day of Wrath seems to fit for sports, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, no. uh, Michael, tell us a little bit about the history of this chant. Absolutely. So we just played that little bit. And what I like to tell people, if you can find it, there was a great video from a uh, Canadian broadcast company. You've probably heard the DSERA just from watching movies. It gets used by composers a lot. Uh, most famously, It's a Wonderful Life, but you also hear it used in The Lion King and uh, uh, Star Wars and a bunch of other movies. It's the most borrowed song. And depending on who you ask uh, its origin, it makes sense why it's the most borrowed song. One of the uh, stories is that Gregory the Great heard the song whispered to him by uh, the Holy Spirit in the shape of a dove. And that means God is the author of Dies Irae. Uh, Thomas of Solano is usually the author we attribute it to, who was, among many things, a poet, a composer, theologian, and a companion to St. Francis of Assisi. And again, it's a gift from God that was given to Thomas. And so from that moment on, from, uh, Thomas of Solano was uh, 13th century. So from that moment on, it became... You know, we call it the day of wrath, but really it's the song of death. It's the song of judgment, the song of to remind us about the end of our life, both its terror and its glory. Uh, sometimes glory and terror all be in one thing because it is the almighty we're talking about. So <laughs> they can sometimes go together. And it is one that has been heard in countless funerals and countless events. And as I said at the beginning, many, many soundtracks. Yes, you, you sit there and read. If you read Dom Garanger, which I think mm. it's the uh, the author was a contemporary of, yes, um, he mentions in the last couple of days. Not nobody thinks of judgment. Nobody thinks of the nobody lives that way. No one thinks of that. Even mm -hmm. was it yesterday? They were recording on Thursday. So yeah, Wednesday of Passion Week. He mentions how people just act like 
we got a golden ticket. And that was back in his days. Right. Oh, and uh, it's I'd say it's got to be even worse now because you have certain doctrines that have just become they're not dogmas, but a lot of us think they're dogmas. One of those doctrines for, that have come in as new thought is this idea of once saved, always saved. We don't believe that as Catholics. We don't believe that you can say the special words once and you never have to worry. Your stamp is done and God's going to let you in. No problem. And Dude, I live in the South. You hear that? Oh my gosh! Time. I can only imagine. Every we got, we got. There's this one place where there's a little <laughs> old school carousel and train where you pay a quarter to get fifty cents to get on. Guy, because oh, I, I got saved last weekend. Yeah, really? <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> no, and I, I, whatever people say that, I'm never sure what to say because, uh, as Catholics, especially in our modern times. It's almost like we have to put up a billboard to remind people that God isn't a spiritual bellhop. He's not here because he needs us. He's here because he wants us. He wants to be in our lives, but he has no need for us. And that's sometimes a terrifying thing to consider and reflect on, especially when you go through the DSRA. I think it mixes those so wonderfully together. You hear that first stanza, day of wrath, day of mourning, see so fulfill the prophet's warning. But then all of a sudden you hear the almost immediately going into stanza three, you're hearing the wondrous trumpet and you're hearing about the ringing. And then Mary shows up and it's also glory. And uh, but yeah, it's not it's definitely not the altar call you're going to hear at your average mega church. <laughs> yeah, at the end of it, it does get into a little rest, a resting mm -hmm. period. Uh, there's, a, there's even a stanza with uh, talking about Mary's absolving and the this uh, yeah. Conversion on the cross, just for those who weren't getting into Passion Week coming up. Yes. And oh, in many ways, this is a song. I think of this and, of course, uh, the Messiah around Advent because there's yes. something about the incarnation that at once is beautiful. It's my favorite thing we believe in as Catholics, that God became man so that we could join him. But it's also something that's a little terrifying because that also means that our judge has lived both fully man and fully God and is well aware of us. And I think it's something that, you know, you get reminded, I had a great priest who reminded us that Advent should terrify us. We should also be, you know, this should humble us and make us remind us, reminded that we're not the all-powerful beings that we sometimes think we are. We're not the masters of our own destiny. Uh, no matter how much we want to tell ourselves through self-help or whatever, we do have a God at the end of the day who will account for us. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you told me there's judgment, there's somebody that we have to reckon to? Uh, yes, in fact. Uh, so uh, read to the end of the stanzas. And all, there's a big, big news here. But yes, we do have someone we're accountable to. Someone who gave us commands, told us how we had to live, how to treat each other, and tells us straight up why, how we treat one another is how we treat him. And I think sometimes we, we know her that. We've all heard that Bible study as a child. But sometimes when we really sit and think about that, when Jesus says, by the measure you judge others, you'll be judged, that's terrifying, especially for a guy like me who is extremely petty and judgmental. It crosses my mind on a lot, like, ah, I hope I'm not judged by those standards that I judge everyone else by. 
I'll do that. Every, I mean, every day. I mean, if, if, yeah. you, if you say you, if someone says we don't judge or I don't judge somebody, you're lying to yourself. I mean, <laughs> uh, how many times you read something like, well, just like this, or uh, there's other, the other books on this, even Garanger. And yes. You do it. You, you read it. It's like St. Paul says. You do the things you're not, you don't want to do. You don't do the things you're supposed to do. <laughs> you, you could literally read something like this and then go, hmm, that makes a whole lot of sense. And then do it three seconds later. <laughs> it's incredible. I remember in Augustine's Confessions, he had talked about, I'm trying to remember the Greek term he used, but he was trying to find that type of dual mind. And that's where Augustine also has that famous line of, I was saying, make me chaste, O Lord, but not yeah. yet. That dual mind where it's like, yes, I know this is the right way thing to do. I know this is what I have to do. Then why can't I? Why am I still a slave to my passions? And for Augusta, that caused him a lot of heartache and breaking his mind trying to understand that. But it's, I think the first step to understanding is knowing that's how we are, that we can say, okay, I, this is objectively good for me and good for the people around me. I'm not going to do it, though. Back to a, a couple of minutes ago, we talked about Diaziri and movies. Mm hmm. Until you this. Right? It's once you hear it, you won't unhear it now. <laughs> Kill him. Ah, so you haven't told them your little secret. Well, Simba, now's your chance to tell them. I guess I just tell never paid attention, even though it's been about 20 years since I've seen the Lion King. Right? And you were watching it, if you're like me, you were like 10 years old, you didn't know what Dia Sierra was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you said my wonderful life, I'm thinking back my Come mind. What's he talking about? Get me back! It's at the height of the scene Get where he's back. come to, to confront yeah. his humanity. Get me back to my wife and kids! Help me, Tyrants, please! Please! I want to live again! I want to live again. Oh. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. <laughs> huh. Yeah, you can hear it now, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very faintly, yeah. <laughs> I have to ask my Lord of the Rings guys if they noticed that. Oh, I... I'm sure they did. <laughs> yeah. Great time for that too. 
Oh, agreed. Jurassic Park has it? I did not know that one. I. Oh, it's very faint. Yeah. Come on, guys. It's not a race. I see the box. It says high voltage. Huh. Yeah. Groundhog Day, really? <laughs> I was waiting for Rocky to come up next. <laughs> oh, perfect use of the music, though. Yeah, there you go. It was either that or R. Kelly, I can believe I can fly, but. <laughs> <laughs> the Superman theme. <laughs> <laughs> really, really great guy. I never noticed half those movies. Uh, I noticed a few once I had taken it. Once I had been exposed to how frequent it was, I started listening for it a lot more. And every once in a while, I'll be surprised. And Jurassic Park, I never heard, though. That's amazing. And it mentioned in the book, I think it was in the intro, mm -hmm. how Protestants uh, use it quite often or are very familiar with it. Yeah, it's surprising. It's uh, one that a lot of Protestant composers, especially the 18th century, use within their music, Handel being one of the more famous, of course. So it's one of those things that even when you separate from the church, you some traditions, of course, still remain. We still have crucifixes and things like that, even in the lowest of lo uh, low church denominations. But yeah. it but it's weird that like Diasieri seems to be one of those timeless songs, and if it's true that this was given to Saint Gregory or Saint Thomas from God, makes sense why it would endure to the end of the age. Tell us a little bit about uh, Father Greer. Absolutely, he wrote. This is a book. If you read anything from the 19th century afterwards about the liturgy, uh, you will probably hear him quoted, particularly from his book, The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Uh, similar to Don, Don Prosper, this is a, you know, cornerstone work to give you the history of the liturgy and how the liturgy uh, functions in each and every symbol. If you really wanted to terrify but also delight your uh, RCIA or CCD <laughs> students, you could definitely give them the book and assign pages, but... Uh, so what Michael's saying is do that, yes. <laughs> oh, please. I, it, it gives my seal of approval. That will bring more people <laughs> into the church, guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. I was telling Mike off camera, is, uh, uh, I didn't notice that Father Greer wrote, wrote it until I actually looked at the name, until uh, I got the book. And there's part, quite a few priests that mentioned him in the sermons mm -hmm. on the channel. And if you try to do a search, you'll never find a photo. You, it's hard to find any information on him, much less yeah. the right spelling. Uh, but this is one of the first books out and back in print that he's done, right? It is. He wrote quite a bit, about, especially about the liturgy. This was one of his more unique works, just because there isn't... If you go to your library and look up Diasiria, you're likely to find mostly CDs, maybe some sheet music. Not something like this that is a full a full exploration of the words, but also how it's used in the liturgy. And it's a delightful book for me because it's a song I got a I got really intrigued by Diasiri's 
maybe two or three years ago. I feel like stuff happened in the news that made me think about the Day of Wrath a little more. I don't know. But it was delightful to get into and then to hear it in every movie. Sometimes I'll just be watching TV and I'll hear the music. And to have this resource to really get into the meaning of each stanza is pure delight. You go back to the movies. I, maybe it's just me. I just never focused on really the, the soundtracks. Sure. I just, you know, I'm focused on watching it. Uh, but yeah, it's fascinating. It was uh, Jurassic Park, all those other movies going, oh yeah, now I see, now that you're paying attention. It's kind of yeah. like FedEx. Can you see the arrow? Most people <laughs> can't see the arrow, but wherever you see the arrow, you can't stop seeing that arrow. Right. <laughs> no, it, it, once you notice it, you can't help but to notice it from here on out. So that's our gift to everyone who's listening <laughs> right now. <laughs> so, I mean, when, when I first got approached by doing this, on the book, I went, you know, it's, I like the, I love the, I love the, the chant, but I didn't know what it was until I opened the book going, wow, father takes stanza by stanza and explains literally the meaning behind each one. Mm -hmm. It is a fascinating deep dive into the chant. Yeah, well, it really is. It's like literary criticism and theology kind of rolled into one easy to digest book in a lot of ways. Yeah, so if you've gone to All Souls, All Souls, it was All Souls Day Mass, mm -hmm. uh, a funeral mass requiem, you're gonna hear this, and maybe you just sat there and you're like, "Oh, that's a pretty good." And you know, maybe you did try to sing along with it. It'd be good to try to learn. I'll be. It's yes. gonna be hard because it's long, but give it a shot. Uh, but this really gives another next level meaning to it next time you hear it, right? Yes. Oh, and it will. And what I love about each stanza is. Each stanza is full of so much meaning and history. Just even that first one, there's the end where it talks about David and Sybil, uh, basically talk, telling you that the prophecies of the Lord's return are prophesied both in the Old Testament, but also in Catholic tradition, we believe that the pagans even had some knowledge that God mm -hmm. was even warning the pagans of this happening to get them ready. And that's where a lot of the prophecies of the Sybil come into play, especially in medieval works. And just that little bit there. Then, of course, that's just the first stanza. Each one, uh, as we could see, Father Greer had time to write about each stanza. So they each have so much layers you can get into. What would be one thing that he wrote that blew you away in the sense like, wow, I never thought that. I never thought of this in that way. Oh, my I know I put you on the spot on that. Yeah. Oh, that, and it's a good question. It's a great question because there's a lot. One that he just wrote this book was for me, a you know, that alone was so delightful. But I think, I think what stood out to me was in the introduction, he quotes Augustine and is talking about God, God's wrath, but also how God's wrath is tempered by his tranquil love and uh, affection for us but at the same time there is still that wrath and to think about those things existing in one being and one god was for me a pretty mind-blowing thing to think about it's again what i always talk about in these interviews it's sometimes the most striking thing in the world to hear because we're such a narcissistic age that god loves us for no reason than that he created us but that he doesn't need us it's not from any, you know, he's not lonely, he's fine. And that's something to be reminded of it in this way, that there is wrath, but also joy in God's particular judgment of us is uh, 
was kind of mind blowing to have like on page eight or whatever of a book you just opened. <laughs> yeah, I wonder, was it Garner Jay just the other day talking about that about the about creation? Yeah. What the where what was going on prior to it and the uh just the thinking of that. Well, I could I'm reading it in. Oh, it might have been on Palm Sunday that it was brought that up because I'm I'm trying to get ahead of the program. Of course. And uh yeah, just thinking about what was going on before creation. Mm-hmm. It was you can't think you can't wrap your mind around things like that. <laughs> no, what was going on before there was anything? It's a yeah. bizarre thing to was think about. Was he hanging about. around? Or he was just what was he doing? Where was all this? What was going on? Where was it going on? How long was it going on for me? Was there a where and a what even? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, and it's fascinating, especially because one of the great uh, doctrines of the Catholic Church is you know that god didn't create us because he needs us for some plan or anything like that he did it purely out of love uh and that that's something fundamental to what thomas aquinas said that god only has no need and therefore we can't think of that him as having a need for us but that also means that it's pure love there's no and that's a bizarre thing for us as humans to believe because even the person we love the most it's still hard not to think of them as someone who is an ends to a me- a means to an end or something like that. It's something we have to work towards every day. As the song, as the chant goes, what will I do when God calls me on that day of judgment? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's striking, right? Uh, something oh. a priest would often say in his homilies to ask yourself, what would God think of me right now if he walked in? And that's a strange way to see it because he's always watching. He can see you, but it's, it's recontextualizes everything. Like what would God think of you right now? If he saw how you were talking to your coworkers or how you were, I'm going to use me as a perfect example. If he saw you muttering some curse words under your breath about the idiot drivers you have to meet every day in Denver, yeah. like what would he think of you that? Yeah. And what would you say in your defense? Yeah. Who's also his creation. Yeah, it was also their creation and uh, made in the image and likeness of God and therefore yeah. has dignity. Yeah. And it's something I have often forget, as you can tell. And uh, was it the, I think it, I'll go back to Don Prosper, was it the yeah. stoning of Christ? And he compares it to down the road, they will be asking the mountains to cover themselves up on this day of judgment. And they won't be able to do it. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. You, 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 you hear about that before. You've heard, I mean, you heard that phrase, that verse, but you play it in this, the Aziri, you think about Judgment Day. How bad can it be? And you're wanting the mountains to to hide you, and they, you can't, you you won't be able to hide from anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, and it's because being itself, it's going to see and also knows your judgments, like why you did the things you did, which is something we as humans don't have access to. Uh, half the time, other humans confuse us because we can't understand their motivations. Eh, God doesn't have that problem. <laughs> what have others uh, come up to you? Uh, others that brought up the book have said to you about maybe a conversion. Did anybody hear it going, you know, I need to look into the religion a little bit more. Uh, have, has, has that ever happened in your life or a time around this? I haven't heard anyone like, I've definitely known people who felt called the Catholic Church after hearing beautiful chant and things like that, because that kind of art 
artistic patrimony is just it says so much and it's like the miserere yeah oh goodness yeah and even just like you know beautiful gothic or baroque church like something where this art real i have heard of people I, in fact i've known a few friends who like when they walked into a church with me and saw the church saw this beautiful baroque church and heard me describing the various things that they said okay i want to know what's more what more is there to this and that could serve as a beautiful as a great doorway to show people and it's also it's universal everyone from you know the most hard-hearted atheist to your catholic grandma loves art and music they love beautiful things uh we generally i could we could go into the theories why that is but we universally do love beautiful things and beauty is a mark of its creator so we should share those beautiful things and the dies irae is stunningly beautiful It's always great to see like the the people getting pulled and they're mm -hmm. trying to get away. Yes, <laughs> uh, but it goes it goes into the song, you know, just like just a minute ago. Who will intercede for me? Mm -hmm. And then you know, what can I, a frail person, do? What can you know? It's that almost is a reflection back to the book of Job when Job asks. I think it's in the twenty third chapter. Uh, what can I do to God? What he wants, he does. He, And who can stop him? And it's uh, something we don't talk, think about, I think, in modern times. I, I make the joke about the spiritual bellhop, but we also for, forget that it is a fearsome, like, this is the creator of the universe. He knows all your thoughts, all your deeds. And yet we still feel the need to hide ourselves from him. And it's the strangest of human activities. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around. <laughs> uh, what was, what was, what is one of your favorite stanzas in? Oh, goodness. Uh, we were talking actually before the 13th stanza, which, you know, I think it's like you who absolved Mer Mary and her, the robber. Trying to figure out which one, where is that? <laughs> oh, I know. Is that it? Did I go back? No. Has to be back in this way. <laughs> I can't find it right this second. That's okay. 
But yeah, there's that one, and then it goes into the 14th stanza, even saying, you know, my prayers aren't worthy. You know, what can they do? But God, you are gracious and good, and so you will do what I can, and I won't be cast into the everlasting fire. Uh, basically, as one of the core tenets of the Christian message is, we're all pretty terrible, but God loves us anyways. And if we could wrap our minds around that, we could also wrap our minds around the fact that that is the greatest gift, that even the one who can see all our motivations and all our thoughts still wants to be with us. Uh, most people don't want to be with me when I'm cranky. So no. to know that there's still <laughs> someone that wants to be with me is a very powerful message indeed. So what he's talking about in here is from the book. Is yeah. I think about four pages on the 13th stanza. The last paragraph, the story of the penitent thief is pertinent here, not only because it incites and encourages the sinner to do penance, but also because it may be applied typically to the last judgment. Christ's mm -hmm. crucifixion between two thieves, quote, shows more clearly that his passion and death was undergone for the sins of men with and for the sinners. The conversion and parting of the penitent thief shows the efficacy of the death of Christ and its application to all, even the greatest sinners, provided they are willing to accept his pardon, whereas the impenitence of the other thief indicates that not all sinners will have a share in the grace of the redemption. Mm -hmm. It goes on for another few sentences, too. But yeah. Just the death, you, you hear it, you know the story, but thinking about everything that goes around in it, we we might just overthink it, I guess, or not even. We just go try and kind of like glass gloss by it without giving it a thought. No, it's it's a lot like uh, I have a beautiful. I live in a really lovely part of Denver with some historic homes, and there's one brick house I walk by every single day. And it took me a year of walking by that house before I noticed that its front entrance had some really lovely stained glass. And I mean, I saw this thing every day. I knew its lines but i never noticed the stained glass because it was just one small part of it but it's a beautiful part of the house with these kind of stories we hear them so often you know i was the kid in sunday school with the felt board and the stories and because they become i think sometimes the familiar becomes comfortable and we don't consider it so we need someone you know like that chestertonian idea of like get lost on your path home even though you know the way because then you can actually get to know the things you're talking about yeah yeah no so you, you, there's a uh, it's a it's a mockery of the cell phone but mm -hmm. uh i think it's on youtube everyone's standing there looking at their dump phones and you see only a couple people with their heads up looking around and they the 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 key part of it is he in this one life runs into his wife and the other part they just gloss by each other because they're looking down at their phones. <laughs> That's a good PSA. That's yes. a very good PSA. Uh, uh, now the whole chant has some joy at the end of it. Yes. terrifying no <laughs> and in fact it's actually very hopeful in a lot of ways you know it is at it's reminding us to continue to pray for the dead to ask god to give them mercy and 
but there's also the fact that I have one of the greatest things about this song, why I think it la has lasted so long in the cultural memory is because it is talking about all these terrifying things, but also is ending with that hopeful note, the hope that we can join the elect, that we can be part of God's plan. And also as hope uh, at what we need at funerals and why this is so often sung and chanted at funerals, we need to know that the people who died, that the ones we've lost might be reunited with us, or at the very least that we can know that their suffering is going to end and that they will be in the arms of the Lord. And that's what ultimately all of us want, not just for ourselves, but for everyone around us. So, whoops, I hit the wrong button on that. That's oh, okay. No, there. <laughs> I'll try to bring up the book. So if you want the book, Sophia is through press, has got it. Uh, the Azeria, I'll have the link underneath in the show notes. Obviously, it's underneath the video for everyone that doesn't know what the show notes are, description section. <laughs> Just click it. You'll go right to it. Uh, Michael, any uh, from promote, promote yourself. Do you have any works to share? Work on? Oh, well, I'm editor at Catholic Exchange for for the moment. Uh, we've been working at that for several years. We got a couple great things going on right now. We'll be relaunching our podcast hopefully soon. And uh, we would love everyone to stop by. We should have a couple more articles about DSRE up there, but CatholicExchange.com is where you can find me and our work. Very good. I'll have that underneath the show notes as Thank well. Thank you. And, uh, Michael, appreciate you coming on. It's been a, it's, it was a pleasure. Great. It was really Thank good. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs>